This is John Holtzman, and welcome to a special edition of Around the World in 20 Minutes, where we try to make sense of our beguiling world. And boy, I don't like to do these things on a Sunday, but we study current events, and we have to focus on that first word here, current. And part of what I can give you in our community is in a time of crisis, some uh, context understanding and look at an analytical way forward for what's going on. And the Israeli crisis where Hamas crossed the border yesterday, the greatest surprise to Israeli intelligence since the Yom Kippur War of 1973, uh, certainly merits a special edition. Uh, this will obviously push back our Hemingway uh, discussion tomorrow, but we'll go back on Wednesday. But we just couldn't let this not be discussed. Uh, events, dear boy, events, uh, is what Harold McMillan said when John Kennedy asked him what worried him. And in political risk, it's these bolts from the blue that you really have to get a handle on. So I thought we'd do that today and link this into our overall realist framework. And, and it can be done quite easily. I mean, first, let's look at the philosophy for just a minute. And then we'll look at the nitty gritty of what happened. And we'll put those two things together. The philosophy of foreign policy is simple. If you acknowledge that any state, however powerful, even the United States, the preeminent ordering power of the world, has limits... That means you have to be a realist. The minute you allow for limits, then you have to allow to make choices because you can't do everything. You have to decide the things that you absolutely have to do, the things that you'd like to do, and the things that on a good day might happen. You have to divide your interests into primary, secondary, tertiary, and then everything else. And you have to do this simply because you can't do everything because you don't live in a world government. And the reason realism has worked since the time of the Greeks is we've never lived in a time of world government. There's never been one minute in recorded history with global governance where you have unlimited power of a centralized state that can do whatever it likes. That's never, ever happened. And because of that, every government that ever existed, whether it liked it or not, and most don't, had to make choices. And that's precisely what, what's being forced on the United States today. And, and we'll look at that in just a minute. Um, so this is where we have to begin. Now, precisely for this reason, utopian thinkers who are Wilsonians, uh, liberal Wilsonian hawks on the left, neoconservatives on the right, utopians say absolutely no choices have to be made. They never mention the $32 trillion U.S. budget deficit. They never mention the dwindling of our supplies as we give Ukraine everything we have. They never mention limits. And this isn't because they're stupid. It's because their argument falls to pieces if they do. If you acknowledge American limits, then you have to acknowledge American choices. And then it's much harder to argue that Ukraine needs to be done by the United States as a primary interest. That only works if everything is a primary interest. The minute you accept these limits, Ukraine goes way down the pecking order into where it ought to be, which is a tertiary interest for the United States. And that's where it should sit. But to avoid this, they start the other way. We want to intervene everywhere. We want to have a foreign policy where we're constantly giving wherewithal, blood and treasure to whoever we can to promote our global kind of ideology. And the only way we can do that is to pretend that there are no limits to what the United States can do. Silly as that argument is. And so that's sort of the philosophy behind this. Now let's see where the rubber hits the road. And you very quickly see the link to realism. Um, what happened yesterday, and I'm speaking on a Sunday, Sunday morning here in Milan, is that Hamas, in, in, in an incredibly bold but coordinated attack from air, land, and sea, 
crossed the border into southern Israel uh, to the surprise of literally everyone, including the Israeli intelligence agencies, and from Gaza moved into southern Israel. Hundreds have died on both sides already, um, and 50 to 100 Israelis have been taken hostages and have been thought to be taken back to Gaza. Bibi Netanyahu declared that the Israeli state was at war. The Qasem Brigades, who are the military wing of Hamas, led this operation, and Hamas managed to fire off, according to the IDF, which is the Israeli Defense Forces, Hamas fired a, uh, 2,200 missiles of all kinds, mostly not very good missiles, but 2,200. What they lack in quality, they made up in quantity. 2,200 is a huge number. Israel's Iron Dome defense system, missile defense system, managed to intercept around 85% of them, but an awful lot of rockets still got through. And on the ground now, there have been hundreds killed, over 300 Palestinians killed in the first 24 hours, and nearly 2,000 Palestinians wounded. 300 Israelis are declared dead, and more than 1,800 have been wounded. So rather huge casualties out of nowhere. Obviously, again, the biggest intelligence failure since the Yom Kippur War of 1973. And this ground invasion, the next question is, Israel now says, Bibi has, has offered to have a unity government, which would let him escape his right-wing political trap that we've talked about. And he's offered to the centrist, center-left leaders, Benny Gantz, former general, and Yair Lapid, a unity government to get Israel through this. The next steps are Israel certainly will begin a land invasion of Gaza to try to root out as much of the Qasem brigades as they can. Uh, as quickly as they can, but there are going to be rough days ahead. And because um, in Gaza, which is a very narrow strip of land, Hamas hides in the population, there are going to be mass casualties. Um, and that's that's for certain. And again, Israel, Bibi said Israel is in a state of war. Why did this happen now? Why? Again, always the question that matters most when we look at these things. Why? And in this case, more specifically, why now? Well, this is simple. Uh, Hamas gets its money from its Iran paymaster, like its uh, terrorist friend in Lebanon, Hezbollah. Um, they are paid out of the Iranian account. Um, and of course, there's a lot of, a lot of uh, coordination. For instance, Dennis Ross, a guy I know and respect, a former Middle East negotiator for both the Clinton and the George Bush administrations, has said that UN adv advisors were told by Hezbollah, and they're in Lebanon to the north of Israel, not to go out yesterday meaning they knew full well what, what their colleagues Hamas were going to do in the south. And so this was coordinated, and certainly Iran paid for it. It helped bolster the Qasem brigades and, and redevelop them, and it helped them with the production of these low-level missiles. So Iran's fingerprints are absolutely all over this, and Hamas would never have done this without, at a minimum, the Iran, Iran say-so, and this could well be an Iranian operation. To, to separate that is, it is difficult, if not impossible. Um, and so why did they do this? Because the U.S. brokered talks for normal, normalization between the United States, Saudi Arabia, and Israel, which, as you know, I think is a bad idea. But these talks were bearing fruit. They, they, they were coming close to fruition. And from an Iranian point of view, this would be a, a catastrophe because this would mean that their two great enemies in the Middle East, Saudi Arabia, uh, the, their challenger, the Sunni champion, most Iranians are Shia, uh, for, for dominance in the Islamic world would now be allied with the greatest military power in the Middle East, Israel. Their two enemies would form a common alliance. And so at almost all costs, Iran would like this not to happen. 
And so what are they hoping to do? By this bold raid with hundreds of Israelis killed and 50 to 100 Israelis taken hostage and taken back, back to Gaza, which might be even more of a problem for the Netanyahu government, uh, Hamas are counting on a strong Israeli reaction or from the point of view of the Arab street, an overreaction that Israel, having been attacked, will now go in to Gaza. There'll be mass casualties and this will poison the Arab street. And with the Arab street, always more pro-Palestinian than the Arab leaders who grow frustrated with Abu Mazen, the leader of Fatah, and certainly with Hamas, uh, the two wings of the Palestinian movement, that this would mean that over time, the Arab street will so be poisoned where the elites are open to a deal like the Abraham Accords that President Trump launched. The street is much more pro-Palestinian and much more anti-Israeli. And with these mass casualties in Gaza, it will simply be impossible for the Saudis to complete this deal. And that's precisely the point. I mean, the why is easy here, um, that, that, that Hamas may very well get its way, that even if they're bloodied very badly um, and, and Gaza is invaded, that what they really want from Iran to them is to stop this linkage between the Saudis and Israel. And they'll probably get their wish because the Israelis are going to have to go in, given the nature of their government, the pressure on Bibi. And, uh, and in going in, there will be mass casualties. And when there are mass casualties, this will poison the Arab street. And so the Saudis won't be able to move a muscle. So that's, that's the why. We've said what's happened and why has it happened. Now let's add in the Ukraine link. Let's add in the link that there are limits and what this means. Joe Biden immediately, reflexively, said that he supports Israel in a rock-solid way and that the United States will give Israel whatever wherewithal it needs. For instance, the any missile missiles of the Iron Dome may need replenishing because 2,200 missiles were just shot into Israel. And even though Iron Dome managed to knock down 85%, that's still an awful lot of missiles they had to fire. So they might need anti-missile uh, batteries to protect them, Patriot batteries or something of the sort. And Biden will hand these over. The problem with giving anything more than that, ammunition, materiel, uh, very quickly, artillery ammunition particularly, but military material in general, is that we don't have very much. There is a finite stock of material, and we've given an awful lot of it over the last year to the Ukrainians. And this is where at last the Ukraine link becomes crystal clear. Because we've given it to a third order priority, we don't have it for a first order priority. The real Ukraine link is to deplete what you can do for your first order priorities while frittering away material on third order priorities. Because you've given the material to a third order priority like Ukraine, you don't have it for what you really do care about, the Indo-Pacific first and foremost, but also to support special relationships like the United States say has with Japan, uh, the Anglosphere countries, the UK, or Israel. And that if any of these are attacked or in difficulty, you simply don't have the wherewithal and you can't quickly replicate it when you've been engaged in basically World War I Verdun-style shooting over Bakhmut and other areas in Ukraine. You can have one piece of material for two things. You can't give artillery ammunition, one bit of it, to two separate groups. And this is where the real link has happened between Ukraine and Israel. We now see that because there is a limited amount of American military wherewithal, powerful as the United States military is, choices are called for. And the minute you accept that, that what's happening in Israel practically 
ties into what we were talking about in terms of philosophically, because this means that the United States acknowledges limits. And the minute you acknowledge limits, you would say, certainly, Israel, as a special ally of the United States in league with the UK, Japan, or the Anglosphere, merits special attention as a primary American interest, and you simply don't have the wherewithal to give them because you've frittered it away on what is certainly a third-order interest, Ukraine. This is where realism and the rubber hit the road. The real Ukraine link is that the United States is limited in what it can give to anybody because it's been giving too much to something that oughtn't to be a priority. And the minute reality pushes you in this direction, congratulations, you're a realist. This is the real Ukraine link. This is the real danger to frittering away wherewithal. You simply don't know when you're going to need it. And in case of the Israeli crisis, we need it sooner rather than later. Thanks very much. I wanted to get that out there today, and we will be following the situation in Israel extremely closely. Uh, we'll let you know what's going on as soon as we can, and if more updates are needed, we'll be sure to hand them over to you. Have a wonderful Sunday, and give a good thing to this, and on to the rest of the week.